You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, my 93rd episode, we're going to speak to neuroscientist and global strategist, Olivier Ouye. Welcome to the show, Olivier. Thank you, Justin, for having me. (laughs) Very good. I like the voice, dude. That's awesome. So we met um, many months ago now, I guess probably like six months ago, uh, here in Atlanta through our good friend, Dr. Jordan Amadio and Rodney Cook. We're actually having a, uh, um, a little festive uh, time out uh, in Rodney's uh, place there in Atlanta. So two great, two great guys and two great global leaders themselves. Indeed. So, Olivier, first of all, thank you for coming. You actually flew in from where this time? I was uh, at MIT the past three days for a, a great event uh, there where we launched a, a challenge on brain health. Um, we can talk about that yeah, a little yeah. bit further. Yeah. But uh, yeah, flew from Boston. Awesome. And before that, where were you? I was in D.C. and before that, uh, San Diego. So that was last week. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I try to sync up our schedules is always fun. Um, but glad you're here. So just a little background for my audience. Uh, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Attend college? All that good stuff. I was born in Valence, which is more or less in the middle of France, but uh, really grew up in the south of France, near Avignon. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to school in Marseille, by the sea, what I like to call the center of the world, but um, (laughs) might be a bit biased here. My mother's godmother grew up in Marseille. Well, you're a great person. Yeah, of course. So I did my PhD uh, in Marseille, but also at the University of Cincinnati, and uh, after graduating... In Ohio? Yeah, in Ohio. Wow. Absolutely. So I spent half of my PhD <laughs> in Ohio. And uh, after that, I did my postdoctoral studies in Boca Raton in Florida. That's awesome. I love Boca. So um, tell us a little bit. We weren't going to do this, but, but let's dive in a little bit. Um, your thoughts on the recent election of Macron. Even if we leave politics aside... Mm-hmm. Um, we always do in the show. Perfect. So, yeah. uh, we've got someone who's 39, mm-hmm. who a year ago launched a movement and got elected and now has a seat at the Security Council of the United Nations. Um, this is extraordinary in the purest sense of the term. This was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of hope because he is def- definitely changing the political game in France and maybe maybe this is going to spread in Europe and beyond. No, good point. So obviously we're going to keep an eye on it. And I know there's probably not a whole lot to talk about on the health side, but, uh, but as the health policies evolve, would love to have you maybe come back and even talk about that. Because global, you and I look at healthcare globally. It's not just what's happening in our backyard, in our communities, but we think about, global, uh, we think about healthcare globally um, and global impacts. And also this is a global issue. It's not just exactly. about yeah, our borders exactly. and what's inside our borders. So before we dive too deep into that aspect, what drove you to become a neuroscientist? Unsurprisingly, like many kids, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> but uh, very early on in my life, I needed glasses. 
And someone kind of yeah. killed my dream by saying, well, if you wear glasses, you're not going to be a pilot. You're not going to be an astronaut. So I was disappointed. But, you know, we're resilient as kids yeah. when it comes to what the future is going to be. And then I heard someone telling me that there are more neurons in the brain than stars in the sky. And I said, well, here it is. I want to understand that system. Yeah. And this is where my interest in, in neuroscience started. But beyond that, I'm very much interested in how people behave. And the brain is just one single element in that very, very complex system that constitutes human behavior in social and physical environments. Excellent. So to that end, um, and this, this kind of came up um, when, we, when we first met, uh, you have a new column in Fortune magazine, so congratulations on that. Thank you. And it's called Your Brain on Business, which I just love that name. Um, but tell us about that. That's cool. So originally, I'm an academic, um, an academic that loves to play Acad out. An academic? Yes. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a lot of that. <laughs> you know, poking the French accent. Oh, if you start below the belt, that's going to be interesting. Anyway, Sorry. working in academia. <laughs> Perfect. Now we've got the producer laughing too. This is great. Thank you, Stone. I love it. So being stuck in the lab was not my thing. Mm -hmm. I'm a hardcore scientist. I'm a neuro geek at heart. But more importantly, I, I try to understand how um, what we learn about behavioral and brain sciences uh, can uh, impact society. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I have a big inclination towards business. I've written, being on shows, but recently I, I started to talk to the people at Fortune magazine. And I think there was a gap in the, for, for this kind of readership uh, that is very business-oriented, yeah. finance, economics, in understanding uh, how neurotechnology and neuroscience is actually going to change the game, literally, from the technology that allows to measure our brain activity virtually everywhere now, not only in uh, medical environments and scientific labs, um, to our understanding of things like decision-making processes of people on a trade floor or um, big CEOs. I've been advising uh, executives around the world based on the knowledge uh, that we get from psychology, anthropology, behavioral, and brain sciences. And I thought there was a gap yeah. um, in writing on this, and I was lucky enough that uh, they would accept uh, for me to write in a very personal way about my experience and my very biased view on how we can use neuroscience <laughs> to, Im to improve business. Well, in Fortune, they're unique in themselves. That was actually the first large publication that picked up um, one of my pieces. It was we actually did with Greenway. We actually did um, standards-based interoperability using some very very new interoperability standards back in 2012 uh, between one of uh, Epic's big customers and one of Greenway's big customers. And um, and Fortune got a hold of that, and they just loved what we were doing for sharing basically the medical records um, between um, uh, an expectant mother and her hospital visits and her ambulatory visits. And so, but uh, and Fortune picked that up. So they're they tend to be for leading with healthcare, uh, absolutely. As well, and and they launched the this series of uh, brainstorm conferences. One That's of which right. is is on health, and just happened last week, where top leaders in the world are are meeting. Very few attendants. It's very exclusive, uh, very targeted, action oriented topics that really connect the innovation in tech, health tech, uh, yeah. neurotech now and uh, the business world and the impact on society. And I think that was needed, and they are totally leading the charge on that front. That's awesome. So when we first met, we're sitting out on the, pa on the, the uh, porch there, 
Um, you talked about misalignments of incentives in healthcare delivery. So expand upon that, because I know what that means to me. But what does that mean to you? And then certainly bring that into some of your work uh, today. Yeah, absolutely. The idea is when you look at the global expanses on, on healthcare, we're talking, depending on estimates, uh, between 8 to $10 trillion annually that are spent on healthcare. Then the estimate is also that 30% of this amount is wasted. And part of this waste comes from the fact that the various stakeholders that constitute health systems, and again, we're talking about a system here, from the patient to the caregiver to the regulator, are not aligned. It means that sometimes some decisions that are made uh, by a physician do not make sense um, for the regulator or vice versa. And I think what was really important was um, in, the, in the work that I'm doing, advising health systems, advising governments uh, and organizations on how to improve their strategy uh, in health and healthcare, optimize the cost and optimize the outcomes. The idea was to really see how, for example, um, if you go and buy a car, let's take an example, concrete mm -hmm. example. If you go and buy a car and this car uh, breaks after a week, mm -hmm. generally, you're giving a new car and you pay nothing. Right. If you have hip surgery yeah. and after two weeks there is an issue with hip surgery, of course you undergo another surgery, yeah. but someone has to pay. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this is a clear misalignment. Yeah. How can we fix that? And one of the ways to fix that is to move from a volume-based way of organizing healthcare to an outcome-based, yeah. a value-based. Yeah. No, and that's why when you the moment... Um you and I met, I think Jordan was one of the people who put us together because we both think very similarly to this. We've been working on this for years and years and years. Um, I couldn't agree more. So talk about, you know, you were head of global strategy and health and healthcare for the World Economic Forum. And I know this, is kind of, this exact topic is front and center uh, to them and for you. So talk a little bit about that and what you, what you did at Davos. So for the people who are not familiar with Davos, this is a meeting that occurs every yeah. uh, end of January in a small town in Switzerland where all the world leaders from uh, academia, business, governments gather for a week and work on improving the state of the world. This was started more than 40 years ago by founder and executive chairman, uh, Pro Professor Klaus Schwab. Um, for a lot of people and uh, in the public eye, Davos is about economics, finance and geopolitics. But what the World Economic Forum is, yeah. is an organization, the organization for public-private partnerships. And beyond uh, the events that the forum is organizing, there, there is a wealth of projects that the forum has allowed and, uh, I mean, allowed to happen uh, over this, uh, the course of these uh, 40 years. When we think about health, the forum is that the uh, really incubated Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccine Innovation, mm. that saved millions mm. of lives, uh, the Global Fund as well. So... One of the, the things that the forum has been doing over the past five to ten years was really to tackle issues about leapfrogging health systems in emerging economies. But um, a lot of the partners of the forum, the top companies in uh, uh, health and healthcare, you think medtech, uh, payers, providers, uh, pharma, well, um, pointed at some of the inefficiencies in healthcare delivery in major economies. And uh, in 2016, they gave a mandate to the people uh, leading uh, health and healthcare at the World Economic Forum to work on value-based care, to identify the key misalignments, and to launch a program 
that will be uh, unique in uh, its convening of the various stakeholders in order to improve the outcomes and reduce the cost uh, in the interest of a patient. And I know it might be surprising for a lot of people to hear these maybe the most powerful organization in the world known for economics and finance to put health and healthcare mm -hmm. in its top priorities but that was the case and uh, it was for me a unique opportunity to be able to lead the the global strategy yeah. uh, for the for the forum so that brought you to atlanta right because remember you're, there's a very large project here in atlanta that you were working on and so tell us about that yes so um part of his project was not to write another report of value-based care right. and again to boil the ocean yeah but uh, together with the team i was working with um, we really wanted to be able to implement pilots. And we, had, uh, we started to, to discuss with, with the key partner and the leadership of that project from the industry and, and, and the public side in order to find places where we could run these pilots. And at the moment, uh, there are pilots in China, Singapore, the Netherlands, and we were looking mm -hmm. for a North American city where we could have impact. And uh, this is uh, why I started to come very regularly uh, over the past two years in Atlanta. Uh, finally, we were lucky enough for um, uh, having Mayor Reed mm -hmm. totally sponsoring the project. And it's been launched uh, earlier this month. Um, so that's a unique opportunity. And my colleagues who are now I'm no longer with a forum, mm -hmm. but my colleagues are at the moment yeah. coming very often uh, in Atlanta, bringing international partnerships, but also working with key actors, uh, one of which is Kaiser Permanente, who created almost a thousand jobs, I think, in Atlanta yeah. over the past three years. And Bernard Tyson, the CEO, yeah. is on the, the executive board of his project and uh, one of the leading lights of his project. Yeah, so who are some of the other actors that you have uh, engaged? I think Grady's involved, is that correct? So Grady UPS. locally is, is involved. Um, <coughs> UPS, uh, yeah. who's a, a partner of a forum, is involved. We got Medtronic, um, Novartis. Um, overall, there are more than sixty companies cool. uh, and organizations yeah. that range from the, the giants of the healthcare industry to the most innovative uh, startups, uh, either in telemedicine, such as HealthTap, mm -hmm. or some of the leaders in medical imaging. Now, uh, Arteris, which is a San Francisco-based yeah. uh, company that is uh, revolutionizing. Um, medical imaging these days based on AI. So um, it's a good blend of um, organization also such as the American Heart Association. Yep. Um, CDC, uh, of course, is involved. And what is really important, as we're always talking about health systems, is to involve actors that are not the ones that you will think first right. when uh, it comes to health and healthcare. I mean, UPS is doing a tremendous job in healthcare delivery and in health. Yeah. And uh, we're lucky enough to have um, UPS here mm -hmm. in Atlanta yep. and John Mina, the, the vice president uh, of, of health, uh, that is really engaged in that project. And again, for me, even if I'm no longer uh, involved as a forum staff, yeah. it's great to see this uh, thrive sure. and to see the city of Atlanta uh, embracing this particular pilot that is on heart failure, yep. by the way. Well, we are the health, uh, health IT capital of the world. We have over 200 companies here, so it's, it's right that it's here, at least in my opinion. And um, <laughs> that might be one of the reasons I'm moving here. There you go. <laughs> Love it. And for those just tuning in, we are speaking with neuroscientist and global healthcare strategist Olivier Ullier. And I got that right. 
You did. Strong. So let's, because another fascinating thing, we just talked about this um, over lunch today, but how do you use neuroscience to help patients? Because at the end of the day, healthcare is all about patients and patient-centric care, but then also ways we look at it. So what are your thoughts there? Yes, absolutely. Um, the idea, again, is uh, as we're talking about patients, we're talking about human beings and a better understanding on the dynamics of their brains uh, will give us new insights on their behavior. Here is uh, my stance on that. Um, when you look at medicine these days, we've got a fantastic, unprecedented level of precision when it comes to addressing issues like cancer. We got precision medicine. We can go down to the nanometer and being able to target cells. We are able to activate cells. Mm -hmm. uh, think optogenetics. Yeah. Um, so we're really advanced. But at the other end of the spectrum, there is the behavior of a patient and also the behavior of a caregiver, for example. Yeah. But when it comes to understanding the behavior of a patient, the methodology, the tools that we're using would be more or less uh, like performing brain surgery with a butcher knife. This is how non-advanced it is. Right. We use a lot of uh, verbalization methods, interviews, <laughs> um, focus groups, yeah. uh, surveys, but these are very limited tools. And we're talking about the lives of people here. Yep. And, and we need, we must use methods that uh, allow us to better understand people in order to better help them. No, I love it. And I, you, we, you brought up at lunch today, and um, I said uh, I offered up one of the local health systems here that I think that we're going to uh, take some of these thoughts to um, and engage because, um, no, I love it. I think there's, we could obviously benefit from this type of thinking and strategy. And Yeah, and there, every, I would say virtually every of our industry, maybe not education, mm -hmm. but, um, but healthcare is using behavioral and brain insights in order to understand how people behave, be it the employees or the consumers, and it is about time yeah. that um, healthcare delivery embraces these new insights in order really to be more aware and more efficient in understanding, predicting, yes. and helping people. Love it. So true. So you segued perfectly into my next area, which I want to talk about. Um, you wrote a recent paper op-ed in which you we're being quite provocative, which I like because now I'm trying to get my show to be more provocative. Um, I like this. So you advise the medical world to embrace some of the methods the retail and online industry has, to, has used to understand, engage, and predict behaviors of the consumer. Tell us more. Because I know that you like Amazon, UPS, but tell us your thoughts there. I love it. I'm very common result-oriented. Um, and ultimately, when it comes to understanding how we think, what we like... And predicting it, mm -hmm. who better than Walmart and Amazon mm -hmm. uh, in doing this? I don't, I don't know anyone, including people like myself, uh, who, yeah. you know, we claim ourselves behavior experts, mm -hmm. but the, re the true behavior experts are working in the retail and the online industry because uh, not only do they have the technology in order to uh, better understand and track us, but they also have a strategy in order to entice us yeah, yeah. into doing things that yeah. we don't think about, right. be it buying a yeah. product or, more important, buying it again. Yeah. Or, um, you know, um, subscribing to a service. And this is key. And you know what they tracked that um, the healthcare industry should have embraced from the get-go is, um, and I've worked helping um, 
the consumer industry uh, by developing a method that measures and assesses the gap between what people say and what people do. Because again, most of the insights we have on how our patients are feeling, mm -hmm. um, how um, they are complying to a treatment, for example, which is a key issue, um, this information comes from questionnaires. Right. And there are so many ways a questionnaire can be uh, biased and inaccurate from people lying to people not being aware of what they do. So I'm not saying that we need to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. My methodology uh, includes questionnaires and asking people and interviews. But I'm not using this as a measure of behavior. I'm using this as a measure of what people think they do or what people think they should be doing. But we need to combine this with on-site measurements of human behavior and decision-making. When people are in the supermarket, mm -hmm. how do they choose? When people are in their homes, yeah. where in a hospital, what do they look at? What are the factors that are influencing their choices? And this is key. And really, um, the question, the key question is how come knowing how successful the consumer industry is in influencing us, how come health, the healthcare industry has not used uh, this methodology? And my take on that is that we're in the medical world a way to snub, to admit that people from retail right. and can consumer teach yeah. Yeah, yeah, or, or, can teach us something yeah. and know better because uh, we think that... Uh, Medicine is so important yeah. and, and, you know, so valued that yeah. these people or for a lot of people, um, the, the retail industry is making us fat, uh, yeah. etc., which is not true. Um, there is an individual responsibility uh, mm -hmm. that is truly important, not politically less, but um, it's not their fault. They are doing their job in convincing and influencing us. But since these tools are out there, let's use them in order to improve the health and well-being of people. So where, from a best practice, you just went through a couple of things, but if you're the, you're, you're leading patient experience for, you know, say Children's Hospital or Emory or Wellstar or Piedmont or some, whoever, um, what is it, like, what would, what would be a couple of steps that they would take to begin to engage that process? So first, um, you don't mm -hmm. need to be high tech. Of course, um, as uh, a self-proclaimed neurogeek, mm -hmm. I'm using uh, a lot of um, new tools that are portable that allow to record brain activity, to track where we're looking at, to decrypt facial expression, mm. track movements. And this is very useful. Yeah. But let's take a step back and just look at what we could refer to as basic psychology and basic influence. Mm -hmm. um, one of the key problems in hospitals is, for example, in attendance and the fact that people who need to come back mm -hmm. to their appointments don't. Um, a company called Influence at Work, based in the UK, has run an incredibly simple yet super efficient uh, experiment that led to cutting 30% uh, mm. the rate of in attendance. You know what they did? Instead of having an assistant or receptionist handing over a note to someone who, someone who just had a medical appointment and saying, hey, here is the date of your next appointment. No, people who just came out of the physician's uh, appointment were asked to write down the next date and time themselves and to go. say it loud. Right. Just this little, it's called a nudge for yeah. a lot of people, this little behavioral nudge 
managed to reduce by 30% the, the in attendance. Another, um, yeah, another example is the overuse of antibiotics. And here we're talking about a worldwide crisis mm -hmm. uh, where there is an estimate that uh, the resistance to an antibiotic that is resulting uh, from the overuse of antibiotics yeah. could kill 10 million people a year yeah. by 2050. Yeah. This is huge. And uh, for the UK alone, there are 40 million antibiotic prescriptions a year, a quarter of which are unnecessary. Yeah. So, you know, um, the Behavioral Insights <coughs> Unit, which was the... Um, a, a specific unit of a prime minister of uh, of UK, and I was leading such unit for the prime minister of France from 2009 to 2012. Between 2014 and 15, they managed to target hotspots of uh, antibiotic prescription, mm -hmm. and uh, eight, 800 GP practitioners uh, were told that their peers were, had really uh, decreased their use of antibiotics. And just by sending mm, this yeah. little information, it reduced by 3% the yeah. prescription. The last example is yeah. adherence to treatment. And we were talking about that, that despite you and I having maybe more knowledge than uh, a lot of people about what the medical world is mm -hmm. and, and medicine because of our jobs, yeah. uh, we do not finish sometimes our <laughs> antibiotic treatment. We do not. Or we yeah. do not stick to the prescription. Right. And you know what? We're talking yeah. the simple fact that people are not just listening and complying to the prescription of a physician is costing almost $300 billion, billion a year. Yeah. A year. We're talking about 30% yeah. of yeah. an overall healthcare spending. This yeah. is huge. So now there is technology. We've got uh, um, the, the boxes for your pills yeah. that uh, that have oh, yeah. trackers oh, yeah. that are flashing if mm -hmm. you don't take your pills. Yep. Um, and then your, your your whoever your caregiver is, or you're even inside your house, will get alerts that you're not taking your medications for elderly and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. But <clears throat> now we can go further than that. There is a, there is a company um, in the Bay Area called Proteus. And Proteus is putting some trackers in the pills so that it's not just your box that is telling uh, you took three pills a day because you had to, but a lot of people are not taking them at the right time. Whereas with these little trackers that are sending messages to your phone and to a database, we know whether people even comply with the time. And you can uh, create incentives for the people who, who are doing what they are told to do, from cutting on the health insurance premium mm -hmm. to uh, giving them money. And this is a big trend at the moment, yeah. and it's playing with uh, some of our biases yeah. in order to entice us, mm, more or less, I would say, consciously, to be better patients. I love it. So we are actually at time, my friend. However, I always want to get in my last question, which is, what is your favorite place to get or be inspired? Where do you go? What do you do? I travel a lot. Yep. And I would say that my, my favorite place is uh, when I put my headphones on. <clears throat> that's, that's for sure. And uh, whenever I need to really relax, focus, yep. uh, the magic recipe for me yep. is to listen to Bach's uh, cello suits, the nice. naked suits. And I happened 
to finally it stimulates uh, brains yeah, brain, oh, yeah and and uh, this week I, I was at the Kennedy Center annual summit on a panel with one of my idols Yo-Yo Ma yeah, yeah. and I had Yo-Yo who just played oh. this in front of me and by the way I recorded his brain activity when he was doing that oh. <laughs> that was I mean that was the total dream for me there was neuroscience there was Yo-Yo yeah. and Yo-Yo playing Bach I mean it was I was in heaven but on on talking about a place yeah. uh, in the south of France by my parents' house, there is a cliff. And whenever I really need to make a big, decisions or s a big decision, I fly there on ah, purpose. Well, it was it. also to yeah. be uh, with my parents, parents, of course. Yes, but I go there and this is where I take the, the most important decisions of my life. I love it. Olivier, great to have you as my guest today. Thank you very much for joining us in studio and certainly coming on the show. Would love to have you back. Um, and thank you, everyone, to listening and joining us today. Please tune in weekdays, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so I can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my comments always are posted at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week. <laughs>